It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. You know, the Bible says faith in God has one big caveat. You must first believe that God exists. Hmm. Now, a lot of people believe there is a God. You know, the latest polls show about 74% of Americans do. You know, that number has actually dropped in the last few decades. But the point is... Even among Christians and many people of faith, they may not be able to articulate why they believe or be able to defend those beliefs in a conversation with someone from another faith. Now, if you're a certain age, of a certain age like me, you were probably raised in an America that was sort of seeped in a biblical worldview. You know, um, you sort of breathe the air of Christianity, like David W. Miller at Princeton uh, University talks about. You know, we called it Christmas vacation. We called it Easter vacation. I mean, it, it was breathing the air of Christianity. But lots of people, without knowing it, are kind of stuck at the belief in God stage. I mean, the certainty of that belief. And a lot of those people, without even realizing it, are sort of functional agnostics and even functional atheists. Um, There is a natural human position that says, if God is loving, why doesn't he stop all the senseless pain and suffering? So the answer then is, well, he can be all loving, but he can't be all powerful. Otherwise, he would stop all the pain and suffering. Now, the Bible maintains that God is all powerful and all loving. So how do you reconcile those two positions? Well, just like the book of Hebrews says, you must first start at believing that God exists. And you may not realize it, but the proof of God's existence is actually quite compelling. And once that's established, then the proof of the truth of Christianity becomes the next step, which my guest believes has the most convincing and persuasive understanding of God's love and his omnipotence. Now, best-selling Christian author Lee Strobel, famous for his Case for Christ investigative books, has laid out the claims in his new book, Is God Real? Exploring the Ultimate Question of Life. And he joins me now. Welcome, Lee. Well, thank you. Great to be with you, Lauren, and appreciate the opportunity to speak to your listeners. Wow, this is, it's really a very powerful book that you've, you've written here. Now, you are, I should give some background here, you're a former atheist who yes. used his investigative journalism skills to try to debunk Christianity, and you came away a believer. And there's even a movie about your life, which is yes. fascinating because, you know, go watch the movie because it really is a fantastic movie. <laughs> um, so, but why did you write this book? Because you, you've covered proofs yeah. for Christ, for the resurrection, for heaven, and now this book about proof for the existence of God. Why? Well, it's interesting. My publisher came to me and said, boy, our tech people have discovered kind of something interesting. They said, we discovered that 200 times a second around the clock, someone on planet Earth is typing into a computer search engine, basically the question, is God real? And I said, oh my goodness, wow, there is a lot of curiosity about this topic. Let me see if I can pull things together and and look at the evidence of science, of history, and the arguments of philosophy uh, through interviews with um, well-established and well-respected scholars, and then put it, as someone once 
So I put the cookies on the bottom shelf. In other words, <laughs> write it in a way that people like me can understand it. You know, that's that's kind of my role in the in the uh, the world. It's to to uh, interview really really smart people and uh, try to translate it into everyday language that I can understand. I figured if I can get it, anybody can get it. Well, you know, it's funny because you're a really smart person too. Um, <laughs> there, but there are two proofs that are really purely scientific, and they have nothing to do with any specific religion. Um, I think it's the cosmological argument and the yeah. fine-tuning um, mm-hmm. argument. Um, I, I wanted to explain what these are, but let's yeah. let's, but let's start with the cosmological argument. Um, yes. I think it's called the Kalam cosmological argument. Is that what it is? That's right. It's actually named after a, a medieval Islamic philosopher. Um, and uh, popularized by Dr. William Lane Craig, who has two earned PhDs, uh, has become a good friend of mine. And it's a simple argument for the existence of God, but it's it's deceiving because of how many conclusions you can draw about this God uh, from the evidence. So it goes like this. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. Second, the universe began to exist at some point in the past. Therefore, there must be a cause behind the universe. That's a very simple argument. If those two first two premises are true, then the conclusion naturally flows from that. There must be a cause behind the universe. But then you ask yourself the question, well, what kind of a cause can bring a universe into existence? Well, it must be transcendent because it had to exist apart from creation. It must be immaterial or spirit because he existed before the physical world, must be timeless or eternal because he existed before physical time came into being, must be powerful given the immensity of the creation event, must be smart given the precision of the creation event, must be personal because he had to make the decision to create, Uh, must be creative because goodness, look at the universe, how creative it is, uh, must be caring or loving because he created such a, a, a wonderful habitat for us to flourish in. And then the scientific principle of Occam's razor would tell us there would be just one creator. So you look at those descriptions, transcendent, spirit, eternal, powerful, smart, personal, creative, caring, unique. I mean, that is a description of the God of the Bible. Uh, and by the way, this rules out polytheistic re- uh, religions, which claim that there are multiple creators because you, you don't need that for, for this argument. Um, second, it rules out pantheistic religions, which say that everything is God because it, it, clearly God is separate from creation. Um, it means the universe is not cyclical. So that contradicts some Eastern religions. And the origin of the universe contradicts the ancient religious assumptions that the universe, uh, universe is static, that it's always been there. So there's a lot you can deduce from this very simple argument um, about uh, the existence of God. Well, uh, explain Occam's razor, um, because yeah. many people may not understand what that is. That's sure. another scientific uh, explanation. Yeah, it's a scientific principle that says that you, uh, you should not multiply causes beyond the effect that you're seeking to explain. So, in other words, if one cause could bring the universe into existence, why postulate multiple causes? You don't need it. And so Occam's razor would say, shave away those other causes if there is one cause that can account for the effect, which is the creation of the universe. So keep it simple. Yeah, keep it simple. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. You know, before this, before this, the scientists actually believed um, that the universe was static. Yeah. And when Einstein developed the general theory of relativity in 1915, he thought to prove the, the, that the universe was static, that that he had to insert something into yes. his into his um, position, into his uh, evaluations, into his formula in yes. order to create that because it blew his mind 
what Ex- really the alternative was. That's exactly right. I mean, he he realized through his equations that, oh, wait a minute. If, if I'm right about these equations, it means the universe must go back to a beginning. Well, golly, you can't have that. And so he actually <laughs> inserted a factor into his equation to keep the universe static. And uh, he very famously, looking through a telescope, I think it was at the Mount Wilson Observatory in L.A., um, uh, made the public announcement, oops, I was wrong about that. Um, <laughs> he knew that before that incident, but it was kind of a well-publicized uh, thing. But yeah, you're right. It, it, it blew the mind of scientists because of the implications. In fact, Alexander Vilenkin, who's one of the most famous cosmologists, he's with Tufts University, said, you know, um, based on the current evidence that we've had about the beginning of the universe, well, scientists can no longer, as he put it, hide behind the belief that there was no beginning. They have to come clean and say, no, wait a minute. If the universe is expanding and you run the clock backwards, it goes back to a singularity, to a, to a, a beginning. And in fact, even if we are a small part of a bigger multi-universe, a theorem that he and two other cosmologists have developed uh, says that even that multiverse would need to have a beginning. So as he said, scientists can no longer hide behind, um, uh, you know, that the universe is eternal. They've got to come clean and say, yeah, okay, it's a beginning. We've got to deal with that. And the reason they don't like some of them to deal with it is because of the theistic uh, implications that it points toward the existence of God. Right. The Big Bang. The Big Bang yeah. has not ever, has not, has yet to be defeated, right? Uh, That's right. Refuted, rather. That's right. That's right. It's been it's been clarified and it's been refined, but it's not been refuted. And, um, you know, people think the Big Bang is an enemy of faith, but actually it's a friend of faith because um, it shows the universe had a beginning. And as um, David Hume, probably the most famous skeptic in history, the Scottish uh, philosopher from what was it, 1700s or so, he uh, he said, you know, I've never asserted so absurd a proposition that something could uh, begin without a cause. I mean, even he recognized back then, but it was safe back then because everybody believed the universe was static. And now it's, oops, the universe <laughs> had a beginning. We got to deal with that. And it's funny how science actually um, gives proof of the the, the Bible's uh, yes. proof. You know? Exactly. And you know what's interesting, Lauren? These are discoveries that don't go back that far. Mm-hmm. In other words... A lot of what we've discovered about um, the origin of the universe and the fine-tuning of the universe, the information and DNA, these are discoveries over the last, say, 50 years, 60 years. And so we are in a position today in t- uh, today, of having stronger scientific support for the conclusion that God exists than any time in history. You know, l- let's move on to the fine-tuning argument because this is the one that yeah. actually can blow your mind. What, yes. what is the fine-tuning argument? Yeah, it basically says that the numbers that govern the operation of the universe, uh, the constants and, and, and numbers of physics that determine that the, uh, you know, that are behind the operation of the universe. There's like a hundred dials, you know, if yeah, you get a hundred dials yeah. that have to be tuned perfectly. Exactly. It's like it's like if you go up, it's uh, you go out at night and, and you look in the sky and instead of seeing stars, 
Tonight, you see a hundred giant dials in the universe, and each one could be calibrated to one of trillions of possible settings. And yet every one of these dials is calibrated to the exact right place so that life can exist. That is the picture that modern physics gives us of the universe. And there is no explanation, I don't think, that makes sense other than there was some as one physicist said, there, there was a super intellect monkeying with the numbers. Um, I'll give you an example. <laughs> one of my favorite ones, and this isn't even the most mind-blowing one, but I, I don't know, I like it, uh, is the force of gravity. So everybody knows what the force of gravity is. If I drop something, it's going to hit the, hit the ground. But if you imagine a ruler that went across the entire known universe, 15 billion light years, wow broken down in one inch increments. This represents the plausible range along which the force of gravity could have been set. And yet it's set at the exact right place so that life can exist. Well, what if we were to change the force of gravity one inch compared to the 15 billion light year width of the universe? Suddenly intelligent life would be impossible anywhere in the universe. And that's just one dial. Um, there's another one, the, the ratio between two of the um, forces of the universe that is so finely tuned, it would be like uh, taking a billion continents the size of North America and piling them with dimes that go 238,000 miles high to the moon and taking one dime at random and spray painting it red and mixing it among all those dimes and then taking a blindfolded person and say you can reach into this pile one time and pick out one dime what are the odds it would be the dime painted red it'd be the same odds that this this particular ratio could exist by chance i mean as one physicist told me the numbers are so extraordinary that we scientists have a term for it ain't gonna happen by chance uh, it just it just absurd to even consider that it could happen by chance. And so how do how do atheists try to get around this? They say, well, maybe there is an infinite number of invisible universes. And if you spin the dials enough times, maybe by chance you'd come up with, you know, the one that would win the jackpot. And that's us. Well, the problem with uh, with that is there is no evidence for an, an infinite number of invisible universes. Um, in fact, one famous physicist from Germany just said that that um, it, it's trash science. It's it's not even worth e examining. She said, uh, you know, it's the media that grabs a hold of that. Said most scientists recognize that it, there's just it's a dead end scientifically. So, yeah, what do you do with that? Um, Christopher Hitchens, the famous atheist, uh, once said that this uh, group, uh, this evidence, the, the fine tuning of the universe, in his opinion, as an atheist, is the strongest evidence that God exists. And I think if you combine the fine tuning with the cosmological evidence, for me personally, that's enough to conclude there is well, a God. Absolutely. I mean, I, it reminds me, though, of, and you know, Dr. Tim Keller, who we just lost yeah. um, recently, um, he has a sermon where he talks about the dead men walking scenario, which is a mm. why atheists. And he gives this scenario. So say you have a friend who's convinced he's dead. I'm dead. And you try to convince him, no, you're not dead. And he says, no, I'm dead. And he says, well, dead men can't walk. And he says, well, you know, I'm, but I'm dead. And he says, so you gather all the medical um, books of the experts who all say that dead men can't bleed. Yeah. Right? And you, and you have him read all of these books. And he says, now you understand? 
Yes. Okay. So here, so he cuts him and he bleeds and he's shocked. He goes, so, so you're shocked. Okay. So what does this prove? And your friend says that the medical people are wrong. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. You know, it says you always interpret the data through which you, whatever is the authority in your life. Yeah. And that's yeah. the problem with, you know, with an, with an atheist who sees this argument and says, no, I just don't want to believe because I don't want it to be true. I mean, Nagel, yeah. I think there was a professor, um, Nagel, I think, he said the same thing. I just don't want it to yeah. be true. That's right. He said, I, I don't want uh, atheist or uh, uh, um, Christianity to be true. And so he's an atheist. You know, I was an atheist, as you know, uh, for much of my life. And I found that what I would tend to do and a lot of my atheist friends would tend to do is just, and this is what you're suggesting, just kind of ratchet up their skepticism to unreasonably high levels. Yeah. And so and to a degree that you would never do that in everyday life. So there's one atheist who wrote for Skeptic Magazine, and she said, what would it take for me to believe there's a God who does miracles? Well, if a chicken learned how to read <laughs> and, then beat a, and then beat a grandmaster at chess, Maybe I'd start to consider the possibility that there's a God who did a miracle. And I go, really? <laughs> I mean, we, we make decisions and conclusions uh, all every day of our lives based on reasonable evidence. And I believe the evidence is reasonable um, that God exists. So I, I got in a conversation once with an atheist and I said, he said, well, let's talk about the evidence. I said, well, okay, I'll talk to you about it. If you can prove to me, I'll, I'll use a name, Bob Smith. If you can prove to me your name is really Bob Smith. And he said, well, sure, I'll show you my driver's license. Oh, I said, no, those can be counterfeited. Those can be, <laughs> that, you know, that that doesn't count. Hey, well, well, I, I can show you my, my social security card. Well, you can for forge those too. I said, well, what if I brought my wife and she told you, well, maybe she's lying. Maybe she's covering for you. I mean, I could find an objection to every single attempt he made to prove that his name was Bob Smith. And, but is that reasonable? No, it's not reasonable. Um, you know, life is not built on certainty as much as it built, it's built on probabilities. And, you know, so, uh, the, the probability of God's existence, I think, is overwhelming uh, to the degree to which it approaches pure certainty. Okay, we're going to take a little break here on, on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We're talking with Lee Strobel about Is God Real? We, we'll be right back. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with Lee Strobel talking about his new book, Is God Real? Because uh, he was talking about how that is a big question people are, are Googling and and uh, looking online about, is God real? And there are some really convincing proofs. We talk about the cosmological argument. We talk about the fine-tuning argument. There's also the biological argument, the DNA. I, I yes. think this is very interesting because this is, gets at the heart of who we are. What is yes. the DNA or the argument through biology uh, about God? Yes, this is fascinating. I interviewed uh, Dr. Stephen C. Meyer, who got his PhD in Cambridge on origin of life issues. He's a leading authority on this. And the argument is this. We have 100 trillion cells in your body. If you open up any one of those cells and uncoil the DNA, it would be six feet tall. Wow. Embedded in that DNA is a six-letter chemical alphabet that spells out the precise assembly instructions out of every for every protein out of which we're made. So in other words, 
Uh, English uses a 26 letter alphabet to spell out words. Nature uses a four letter chemical alphabet to spell out the precise assembly instructions for the uh, proteins out of which we're constructed. Now, what's interesting is nature cannot produce information like this. It can produce patterns. You know, I live in Houston. If I go down to Galveston and, mm-hmm. the, and the Gulf of Mexico, and in the wet sand in the morning, I see ripple marks, I would say, oh, yeah, the waves made those ripple marks because nature can produce patterns. But if I walk down the beach and in the wet sand, I see John loves Mary with an arrow around it and a circle and, 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 and an arrow, you know, a, a heart around it and an arrow through it. Mm-hmm. I would not say, oh, the, the waves made that, you know, <laughs> because why? That's information. And whenever we see information, whether it's a computer code, whether it's a book, whether it's a painting on a cave wall, there is always intelligence behind it. So how much information is in every cell in your body? There are more words spelled out chemically in in every cell in your body than there are words in 200 years of the Sunday New York Times. Wow. Wow. So more than the Encyclopedia Britannica. And as one science writer said, you know, if all of a sudden from outer space, a meteor crashed into our planet and on it was encycl- all the information in Encyclopedia Britannica, I don't think you'd conclude, oh, nature kind of produced that. No, you say there's <laughs> intelligence there. Something has produced this information. And we have that in every cell in our body. So, again, this is a new argument that has just emerged in the last few decades as scientists have really been able to understand uh, DNA and biological information. Um, And it's a profound, profound um, um, finding. In fact, um, you know, I find that a lot of people become convinced that God exists just from this one argument. Yeah, absolutely. And but the arguments through science, you've got the cosmological, you've got the you know, the fine tuning and the biological, this is all science. But then how do you get from belief in God in general to a specific religion? You know, you've got theism, you've got, yes. you know, you, you, and you've got, you know, Judaism, you've got uh, Christianity and you've got Islam. Right. Um, these are all yep. the theistic religions, the monotheistic religions. And of course, you've got yes. pantheism and atheism. But how do you get to a specific religion from is God real? Yeah, I actually have an interview with a famous philosopher in my book that um, we go through each possible worldview, atheism, there is no God, theism, there is a God, and everything is a God. And we analyze it from the standpoint of are these worldviews livable and are they logical or do do they internally contradict themselves to the degree that they can't be trusted? And theism emerges. And then the question is, well, yeah, what theism? As you said, is it Islam? Is it Judaism? Whatever. And I think you go then to history and you look at the question of did Jesus claim to be the son of God and did he back up that claim by returning from the dead? In other words, the evidence historically for the resurrection. Um, And this is what personally convinced me uh, after two years of doing this as an atheist. Um, And, you know, you can summarize the evidence very quickly. Uh, I'll do it. uh, The book, of course, goes Mm -hmm. into a lot more detail, but I'll do it very quickly. I use four words that begin with the letter E because Easter begins with E. Um, The first E is for um, um, execution. Jesus was truly dead after being crucified. Um, We have no record anywhere of anyone ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. In fact, no less of a source in the Journal of the American Medical Association, which is a secular, scientific, peer-reviewed medical journal, carried an investigation into the death of Jesus. And this was their conclusion, quote, clearly the weight of the scientific and medical evidence indicates that Jesus was dead 
even before the wound to his side was inflicted. So even atheist uh, philosophers um, like Gerd Ludemann will say it's indisputable that Jesus was dead. The second E stands for early. We have early accounts or early reports that Jesus rose from the dead. In other words, reports that go so close to the event that you can't write them off as a legend. Because we know from A.N. Sherwin White, the great historian, that it took at least two generations of time in the ancient world for legend to grow up and wipe out a solid core of historical truth. And yet... We have a report of the resurrection of Jesus, including named eyewitnesses and groups of eyewitnesses that has been dated back by scholars to within months of his death. Wow. This is this is a news flash from ancient history. Wow. So I, I don't think you can write it off as a legend. The third E is for empty. You have an empty tomb. And the biggest, uh, strongest evidence for that is that even the opponents of Jesus implicitly admitted the tomb was empty. Because when when the disciples began proclaiming that Jesus had risen, what the opponents said was, oh, um, well, the disciples stole the body. Well, think about that. That's a cover story. They're admitting the tomb is empty. They're trying to explain how it got empty. It's like if you're a teacher and a student comes up to you and says, the dog ate my homework. That student's admitting, look, I don't have my homework, but I can explain what happened to it. The dog ate it. <laughs> it's the same thing. So everybody was admitting in the first century that the tomb was empty. And then the fourth E for eyewitnesses. Um, you know, most of the facts that we accept from about the ancient world are based on one or two sources of information. And yet for the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the resurrected Jesus, we have no fewer than nine ancient sources inside and outside the New Testament, confirming and corroborating the conviction of the disciples that they encountered the risen Jesus. That is an avalanche of historical data. So, you know, I concluded, you know, after two years of looking into this evidence, uh, that it would take more faith to maintain my atheism than to become a Christian. Now, I doesn't, mean, it, doesn't Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians, talk about that if 500 people saw the risen Jesus as well? Exactly. And this is part of that report. See, what happened was um, um, Paul, um, between one and three years after the death of Jesus, um, uh, encounters the risen Christ. He becomes the apostle Paul. He goes into Damascus. He meets with some apostles. Um, many people believe this was the time that they gave him a creed of the earliest church, or it could have been three years later when he met with two people named in that creed. Mm -hmm. And this creed says, Jesus died. Why? For our sins. He was buried. And the third day he rose from the dead. And then it mentions specific eyewitnesses and groups, including 500 people at once who encountered him alive. Well, Paul wrote this in a letter to the church in Corinth, and we can date when he did that. And um, so, you know, one of the greatest historians on this topic, uh, Dr. James D.G. Dunn, um, who recently passed into eternity, um, he said, we can be entirely confident that that report, including the 500 people at once, that report can be dated back to within months of the death of Jesus. I mean, you know, you're a journalist, you know, that's a newsflash, yeah, historically yeah. speaking. Yeah. yeah. Um, now we've got, so you're moving into w whether God is real or not. Then you move, you, because you have the scientific proof, then you move into yeah. Christianity and comparing all the different faiths. Then yeah. the thing is, is having an experience of God. And I want to move yes. directly to the idea that we set up in the introduction, which is sort of reconciling um, the way that God has dealt with pain and suffering. Yeah. And this is the philosopher's question. This is what you get at a lot of these, you know, quest, uh, philosophy 
classes yes. um, that they can't understand. If God is all-powerful and all-loving, why do we have pain and suffering? Why doesn't he stop it? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, and I interviewed Dr. Peter Kraft, a famous Catholic uh, philosopher on this topic. It's a it's a profound issue. It's worthy of uh, extended discussion. So I have an entire chapter in the book on it. Basically, though, the, the answer is, by the way, every worldview needs to deal with this. Yeah. Um, you know, the existence of pain and suffering and evil. But um, Christianity, I think, has the most persuasive answer, and it's this. God has existed from eternity past as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in a love relationship. Um, and so when God decided to create humankind, he wanted us to experience love, to love each other and to love him because love is the greatest value in the universe. Well, the only way that God could allow us to experience love is if he gave us free will. And the reason for that is love always involves a choice. You know, when, when my daughter was little, this, this is going to date me and her, but <laughs> <laughs> when she was little, they had a, do a, a doll called Chatty Kathy, and you would pull the string on the back of the doll and let go, and the doll would talk to you. It was real early technology. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my daughter would pull the string on Chatty, Chatty Kathy and let go, and the doll would say to her, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> and now, did that doll love my daughter? No, of course not. It was programmed to say that. It had to say that. That's not love. Love always involves a choice. And so God did not create evil. He did not create suffering. But what he did is he um, gave us free will. And what did we do? We walked away from him. We hurt each other. We, we grow enough food in this world to feed every man, woman, and child with a sufficient number of calories a day, but people are starving. Why? Because we don't care enough to, to transcend the, the issues and feed everybody. So in other words, I could take my hand and through my free will, I can feed a hungry person. Or I can take that same hand and pick up a gun and kill an innocent person. But it's a little disingenuous for me to pick up a gun and kill an innocent person and then say, God, why do you allow suffering in the world? Why do you allow pain in the wow, world? The wow. problem is us. The yeah. problem is us. And so, um, and God says the day will come when suffering ends, when, when uh, evil will be judged uh, ultimately. And it says, why is he delaying? He says he's delaying because there are still some people yet to come into the kingdom of God. And out of his love, he's holding back the consummation of history so that those last people could come in. It's like, you know, a number of years ago, I wrote my first novel, my first book of fiction, mm -hmm. which, uh, which nobody's ever heard of because nobody <laughs> read the book. But it was kind of a John Grisham legal type thriller. So I wrote this book and it would be like somebody getting the book and reading halfway through and then slamming the book shut and saying, that's Strobel, he's a terrible novelist. All these threads are hanging from the plot. He didn't resolve the issues. And I'd say, wait a minute, you got to finish the book. And it's the same thing with God. You know, he has not consummated history. He has not returned and, 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 and completed the historical record, which he will do with his promise that suffering will cease and that evil will be judged. Wow. How do you convince people of this? I know you have um, the center at the uh, Colorado Christian University, and it's yeah. really there for people to delve deeper into this idea of who God is and how we yes. can live better lives in connection with him. How do you, what's really the step that people have to take? Well, it's a great question. When I got to the point where I became convinced that the evidence points powerfully and persuasively toward the truth of the Christian faith, then I thought, 
what do I do next? What's the next step? And, and my wife pointed out a verse to me, John 1, 12 says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And I noticed that forms an equation of what it means to become a child of God. Believe plus receive equals become. So I said, I get it. I believe in God because of the evidence of science, cosmology, and physics, biochemistry, the evidence of history. I believe he exists based on the evidence, but that's not enough. The Bible says even demons believe and they shudder. Right. There is another step. It is receiving this, as Christianity teaches, this free gift of forgiveness and eternal life that Jesus purchased on the cross when he he died as our substitute to pay for all of our sin. And when we receive this free gift of his grace in a prayer, repentance and faith, we become a child of God forever. And I, that's the, that's the Christian teaching. And how do how people become open to experiencing God's presence in their life? Because like you say, it's one thing to believe in God. Yeah. It's one thing to have information about God, but it's yes. another thing to actually have an experience of God yes. in your life. Yeah, I, I, in my book, I have a chapter interview with Dr. Douglas Groteis, another famous philosopher, on this issue of experience. Because some people have profound supernatural experiences with God that you just, you just scratch your head and you say, how in the world do you explain that away? Um, uh, like, for instance, uh, Evil Knievel. Uh, who became my friend uh, before he died. Uh, you know, evil was on the, evil lived a very <laughs> narcissistic life. I evil mean, life. <laughs> yeah, evil like, yeah. I mean, he once went to prison for beating up a business associate with a baseball bat. He, um, he, he was a gambler. He was a womanizer. He was a drunk. And, um, and then one day he's standing on the beach in Florida and he said, God spoke to me on the inside. I didn't hear the words. I felt them. And, and, and God said to him, Robert, I've saved you more times than you'll ever know. Now you need to come to me through my son, Jesus. Wow. And he, he said, I was so blown. I didn't know. I don't even know who Jesus is. So he called up Frank Gifford, uh, who is, um, uh, was a famous uh, Christian and a, philo- and a uh, sportscaster. Yeah, said, Frank, a, a husband of uh, Kathy Lee Gifford. That's right. And said, Frank, you're the only Christian I know. Who is Jesus? I don't. I had this experience. And Frank said, well, um, read The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. That'll kind of explain it. So anyway, Evil Knievel ends up having a radical conversion to Jesus. I mean, a 180 degree turn in his life. He is transformed. When he told his story at his baptism, 700 people responded by coming forward on the spot, receiving Jesus and wow. being baptized right there. It was unbelievable. And on, he died about a year later and on his tombstone, he said, all I want is believe in Jesus Christ. Well, how do you explain that experience that, that a guy like him had? By the way, <laughs> um, he called me up one day. Uh, I didn't know the story yet. He had just come to faith and he called me to thank me for writing the book. And, and uh, so I picked up my phone and I said, hi, this is Lee. And the voice said, is this Lee Strobel? I said, yeah. He said, this is evil. <laughs> And I thought, my gosh, Satan has gotten my phone number. Is this even possible? And he said, no, no, evil Knievel. Oh, okay. <laughs> so we became friends. But my point is, there are some people, and I, I mentioned several of these encounters in the book, um, uh, who have these extraordinary experiences with God. Uh, Blaise Pascal, the famous ph- French philosopher, did, and, yeah, and yeah. many others. And you know, now I've not had that experience. I did have a dream as a youngster that was prophetic and came true 30 years later. So is that an experience with God? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But um, 
Most people don't have something like that. But what we do have is the Bible promises if a person comes to Christ in faith, um, you will begin to see changes. Uh, Galatians says, um, you, over time, you'll see changes. You'll see God's influence in your life. More love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You'll see this manifested increasingly in your life. And that's how most of us experience God. We experience him through reading scripture, this 800,000 word book that he's left for us um, and, and different ways. But, but personally, I don't know about you, but personally, when I hear of a story like Evil Knievel's, um, even though it wasn't me that had that experience, I go, you know what? I find that somewhat persuasive. Yeah, um, right. I, I can't explain that away. Well, one of the things um, that is very apparent from what I've heard from people, from what I've read, and just reading the scripture is that God will approach you in a way that's unique to you. Yes, I think that's a good way of putting it. Because for me, as a skeptic trained in journalism and law, I needed evidence. I needed facts. My wife, who was just a great, nice person, who thought, well, golly, if God exists, you probably just got to be a nice person. You'll probably get into heaven. You know, she heard the gospel that, no, salvation is a free gift of God's grace. And for her, it was, boom, got it, want it, do it. Right. And, you know, she didn't need that. And that's okay. It doesn't mean she's not intellectual, which she is. But for her, she, I think God knew this is what she needs. She just needed to hear the message. And I think God does meet us where we're at. You know, the Old Testament in um, Jeremiah, the New Testament in Hebrew says that God rewards those who seek him. It says that if we seek, we'll find. It doesn't say that everybody will find. It says that those who seek him will find him. And, and, and I think you're right. I think God meets us wherever our, we need to be met. It's very interesting because you bring up in the book, too, and um, you know this is kind of the last point I want to bring up, but what you bring up, in the, uh, too, about the conversions that's ha- that are happening in the Muslim world, that yes. people are having Jesus dreams. And this is unique yes. to Islam. Yes. And and explain this, what's going on. Yes. Yes. And this is this is a, a well-documented phenomenon in Middle Eastern countries, often where it's illegal to share the gospel of Jesus. Um, what's happening is and this what's interesting about this is the people will go to sleep and they'll have a dream in which Jesus appears to them. But they don't wake up as a Christian then. Mm-hmm. In the dream, Jesus will almost always point to someone else who he says will tell you about himself. And then they later encounter that person. And so to me, that's a kind of corroboration that this dream is not just a subjective thing they're experiencing in their head, but a supernatural thing. So I'll give you an example. There's a woman named Noor, uh, Egyptian mother of four, um, and living in Cairo. She had a Jesus dream. Jesus appears to her. She felt the love and grace was overwhelming. She she's walking with him along the, a, a lakeside and and just drinking in the love of God. And at the end, she says, "Tell me more about you." And Jesus says to her, "My friend will tell you." And she said, "Who's your friend?" And he he gestures toward another ma- a man who's walking with them that she hadn't even noticed. And he said, "My friend will tell you." Well, she wakes up from her dream. The next day, she goes to the crowded marketplace in Cairo, and um, she sees the man from her dreams, wow. the same guy. And so she goes up to him and said, you're the guy from my dream. And he said, whoa, 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 wait, wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> she said, you're the guy, same face, same clothes, same glasses. You're the-. And the guy said, let me ask you a question. Did you have a dream about Jesus? 
And she said, yes. And he said, and it turned out he was a missionary. And uh, he was able to sit with her and open the Bible and then really explain the gospel to her. And this is the kind of phenomenon that we're seeing. So much so that sometimes an Egyptian newspaper publishes an ad that says merely, um, uh, did you have a dream about a man in white in, last night? Call this number and we'll tell you about him. And people wow. say, yes, I had that dream. And um, so in the book, I talk about it. I have another book called The Case for Miracles. I have a whole chapter on this phenomenon. But it, it is a amazing um, phenomenon because of the corroboration. Um, you know, if it were just people going to sleep and having a dream, I'd say, okay, yeah, it was a vivid dream, but does it really, really mean anything? But when they have this outside corroboration, like Nor did, you go, wait, wait a minute, there's something more to this. So this is incredible. Well, the book is called, Is God Real? Exploring the Ultimate Question of Life. And I'll tell you, I mean, it's really a fascinating book. I want to thank you so much, Lee, for writing it, um, sure. and among all the other things you've written. But thank <laughs> you so much. Uh, anybody, uh, how can people find out more about the book and about you? Uh, com is my website. Um, our new center at Colorado Christian University is the Lee Strobel Center for Evangelism and Applied Apologetics. We have online courses. People can get a master's degree, a bachelor's degree, or just take courses for their own edification. And um, if they go to strobelcenter.com, all the information's there. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Amazon Prime members can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music app, or just hit the follow button on your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. It's just been a real honor. Honor for me to be with you, Lauren. God bless you. (laughs) And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.